0: The diversity the hires back at you, back on that ass. Today, shoo, we are going to be talking about a couple different things. First, we're going to be talking about assistance in Hollywood and their push to get a livable wage and get a wage increase. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to be talking about genre, writing Yes, genre. And we're going to discuss exactly what that means, but... I guess all you nerds out there probably already know what we're talking about. We're talking about sci-fi. We're talking about horror. We're talking about fantasy. Genre.
1: Yeah. A little shocking that through, you know, almost 40 episodes that we have not talked about this in any detail yet. That's awfully surprising, given how given how much genre there is on television and in movies. So... And how much it's, we've written, collectively. Yes, yes. Me and you.
2: It's really biggest,
0: The biggest genre nerds in Hollywood all of a sudden.
2: <laughs> Not at all, but happen to have written genre stuff. <laughs> that's actually why it's, you know, that's, that's, actually, that's actually the most interesting part of this whole conversation, which we'll get into, is that even though we've both done it, through 40 episodes neither one of us wanted to talk about it
0: <laughs> i still listen today we're talking about it
2: and i still don't want to talk about it <laughs> well we'll dig into all that
0: hit the music Yo, 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 the diversity hires
1: where Sherman Shu shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two professional screen and television writers living and working in Los Angeles. And we come here every week to give you the lowdown on the business, the culture and the craft of writing for film and television from a distinctly black point of view. I am one of your hosts, Shukri Hassan Tillman. Some people call me Shu. It's some money on my table. Grab a seat with me. You know who it
0: is—the greatest screenwriter of all time, aka the G-Swope, the living embodiment of the Courier font—and your favorite screenwriter's favorite screenwriter. Your other calls,
1: Sherman Payne.
0: Excited to be here today, Shu.
1: Let's talk about this assistance thing, and then let's get into genre. Sounds good. Why don't you set up the assistance thing? Because you sent me, you sent the article to me.
0: Yeah, I sent you a couple articles. But
1: yeah. Yeah, I sent you a couple articles. Listen, there's been a
0: push in Hollywood to get a pay increase to livable wages for the support staff that make, especially television shows run, but also agencies run, uh, production offices run, studios, all the assistance that goes from executive assistants people who answer the phones, to uh, writer's room assistants, writer's room PAs, uh, script coordinators, all of the people who make things tick in Hollywood but don't necessarily get a credit as sexy as writer, director, or something on the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, this has been a long, simmering thing, Shu, and like, we just haven't discussed it at all. these The people who uh, populate these support staffs do not make a lot of money. I think I read in mm-hmm. one of the articles that It's like $16 an hour on average, which in some parts of the country, you might be listening and going, oh, that's not so bad for, you know, a 23 year old, Mm -hmm. but in Los Angeles, where the rents are very high and it's a very expensive city to live. If you live in a place like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, some sort of metropolitan expensive area, you know, $16 an hour is not really cutting it. About $30,000 a year is not really cutting it. You can't really live off that amount. Before taxes, so there's been a huge push. There's been uh, an organization and a hashtag called Pay Up, which is supporting that. the The union that represents the support staff, IATSE, is making a big push. Our guild, the WGA, as they so often do, are standing in solidarity with the you know with the workers and help, trying to get them better wages. But I just want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's interesting to a lot of our listeners because I think so many people see a, assistant work as a path to writing work, to a real career as a writer. And we might as well discuss like the realities of what they're getting paid and what the struggle is.
1: Yeah. And I think 16, I mean, from my read of it, I think 16 is the scale for writer's assistance. You know, that's not always what, what, what other kinds of assistants are, are making. I mean, sometimes it's, uh, I thought, I thought I read sometimes it says low it's, it comes out to about $11 an hour. And a lot of times obviously it's these folks are working hours that are not necessarily that they're not necessarily being paid for um, when they're working extra and, you know, all this other stuff. So it's a it's a whether it's 11 or 16, it's a very low and not livable amount of money in 21 Los Angeles. So to your point. Word. So what about it? Well, I have two you know pretty distinct thoughts about it. Number one, okay. um I think this falls into the category of old fashioned things. We talk about this all the time on Mm -hmm. the podcast where I think that we're experiencing and probably have been experiencing for a few years, a shift in thought in the industry that, that finds its way to sort of race and ethnicity at at a certain point when I'll get to that in a second, but, um, it it, all, it often intersects with, with race and inequity. I'll get I'll get to that. But um, it, the old-fashioned things of the industry that should go away are starting to be questioned and need to go the fuck away. One okay. of those is like award shows. We talk about that all the time. Yes. Another is the kind of types of stories. We talk about that, all, all that um, from a creative point of view. But another one of the big ones, and we've talked about this before too, is... Is this notion of working for low or no pay yes. in order to to get to the quote next level in the industry bullshit? Fuck that! That never needs to happen and never should have happened. It this whole pay your dues by not making any money is stupid. That is not. good. I mean, only like someone who really is making a lot of money um, would. I, I don't. I don't even know. I actually, I'll take the back. I don't even know. What asshole would give that kind of advice anyway, unless they felt like they did it. So you got to do it. I, right. I, I, I don't even get that. Well, it's a
0: sense of, it's a sense of, you know, sort of retroactive suffering, right? And the, in the, right. in the means justify the ends. Oh, I had a shitty job. Oh, I worked for almost nothing. Oh, I wanted this so bad that I suffered for a long time. And then I finally got where I, where I am. So other people must go through that suffering and that pain as well.
1: But I it's just a, don't,
0: I mean, the, so go ahead. I'm sorry, sure. No, it's just a whack idea, man. It's like like you said, it's very old fashioned. It's, it, it's, it's also sort of like this cultural idea that what we're doing isn't really valid. So that if you want to work in the field of writing or directing or anything in filmmaking, that you sort of have to suffer to get it because you're not really working a real job. You know what I mean? It's not, you don't really deserve to have, a livable wage as you ascend up the ladder to your ultimate goal, because, you know, you should be a suffering artist. You should really suffer for, for what you want. If you really want it, it's kind of a ridiculous idea.
1: It's so stupid. It It's not based in, it has no sort of like basis in, in reality, I guess like it, in other words, like if there were a correlation between not making money and that quote unquote suffering, and then being successful as a result or becoming a better writer or becoming a better executive or becoming more astute at one's job as a result, one could maybe make a case for it, but it actually has zero to do with doing the job itself. It actually has zero to do with being promoted or not. It's really just stupid. I can't, I, and not only is it stupid, but as, you know where it runs into race and inequity, of course, is that it automatically um, shuts out uh, uh, black and brown people because you know because of economic disparities that I don't hopefully have to explain. So then when you are talking about these entry level jobs that pay nothing, you're automatically leaving out people, who, um, you know, don't have a benefactor at home, being their parents or right. family members or whoever, uh, to try to supplement that thing. So you're automatically leaving those people out. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. You just like to cut to cut it a little, you know, closer, is like
0: a lot of these sort of overeducated young white people, some of who are, you know, fantastic. I'm not trying to disparage them as people, but a lot of these sort of overeducated young white people who pursue these kind of career paths, can only do it because they have a family who can like make up the difference on rent yeah. and make sure that they have a car that's always working mm-hmm. and make sure that they have enough money to eat and to, you know, and they're still on good health insurance. Right. If they're under a certain age. So, I mean, it really does become a racial thing and that's not to say that every single white person, cause a lot don't, you know, not every single white people have of parents course. who can help them out. Yeah. But of course, if you are white in this country, as Shakri said, and we shouldn't have to explain it, you are more likely to have that situation. You are more likely to have a household that has some sort of level of wealth and disposable income that can supplement these. So you do automatically shut out a lot of Black and Brown people who are disproportionately, you know, come from homes that are impoverished. But you also come shut out a lot of, I think, middle class Black people. Who yeah, are that's just, a, yeah. Who exactly. are just like who are just I like just, have enough yeah. to run their household, but don't have enough. An extra ten, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to just ship off to their kids in L.A. Their adult children,
1: like regular people, living their lives. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. This is, you know, quote regular income earners. Um, I I agree, and and also like the like one of the articles points out this quite a bit, this sort of disgustingness, for lack of a better term, of the income disparity within like a the. You know the same office or within the same like job universe, where yep. you'll have writers who are making you know two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand, whatever five hundred thousand dollars a year, and you got the writer's assistant making sixteen dollars an hour. For what? Why? Why is that the case? Why would anybody put up with that?
0: I thought one of the most telling quotes is. From an assistant, and I think, in, uh, and this will be in our newsletter, guys. Subscribe to our newsletter, AKB, will send you all the reference materials that we talk about. But in the Daily Beast article that we we both read, one of the quotes from one of the assistants is, "It's really hard making thirty thousand dollars a year when your boss is looking for kindergartens for their kid that start at fifty thousand dollars a year Yeah, <laughs> tuition." Sure. Like, I mean, I think that that just puts the disparity in stark relief. Sure, I want to add something else which is you know a lot of what we're talking about are people's attitudes towards work and you know we talked about like sort of the people who come at it from you know i suffered so you suffered that's what you have to do you have to pay your dues nobody said it would be easy that kind of shit and that's you know obviously a shitty point of view to have but like the real problem are really the companies i mean the real problem are really these huge billion dollar companies these million dollar you know corporations and billion dollar corporations who just try to save a penny at any cost and that's really that's really what you know we have to attack i mean it is horrible that we have people within our industry who have sort of developed these points of view really as coping mechanisms to be in this shitty system like they develop that as a defense mechanism for the mis- for the abuse that they suffered, but at the end of the day, it's really all of us against these corporations and these companies because they have the money,
1: right? Uh, I they have
0: the money, and it's, it's just a line item for them to pay all the assistants a livable wage. It's just, it's not it's not going to make or break them. It's not going to sink the company. The profits aren't going to really be affected. The bottom line and the shareholders aren't really going to be affected. It's just a it's just a, a difference on the spreadsheet for them. But they don't want to do it because so many of the people who work in the corporate apparatus are charged with saving money at any cost.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree that that's where um, that's where the fight is. But I think that fight, in order for that fight to be won, that fight has to involve people who are not part of that corporate mechanism, for example, showrunners who are looking at their budgets and looking at what, um, you know, the line is for writer's assistance, for example, and having a legitimate fight with the studio about what that, what that, what that number is and not Absolutely. accepting that number. So it, so it, 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 it is both the corporation, but it is also the culture. So, you know, the, the powers that be can't accept the culture. They have to, they, they also, I mean, the writers can't fight for themselves in a sense. They can, of course, that's what they're doing now, but you know, they can't, they, by the time they're offered that job, that's what the line item is. You know, when that budget 100%. comes to to said showrunner, and they know that, that there's a line in there that's 16 bucks an hour or a scale for that writer's assistant. Right. Somebody's got to look at that and say, this is ridiculous. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to pay the five other writers a bajillion dollars and pay this writer's assistant 16 bucks. So fuck Absolutely. you, give me some more money.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, exact, it's sort of what we were talking about the other day with the diversity writer. The people mm-hmm. who have the ability to negotiate and the people who have leverage because they're, you know, sought after, they're, you know, high high up the hierarchy, they have some star power or some name and they're in demand. You got to use a little bit of that leverage to fight for the people who are going to be supporting you as you make things. So I, yes. I hear that 100%. I'm just saying that, like, I don't want this to be, you know, <laughs> this this podcast to just become screeds against capitalism at every single turn. But the business is ultimately the problem. How do we attack it? Yeah, we attack it through collective bargaining, which is what they're trying to do with IOTC. They, we mm-hmm. attack it through people with more leverage, using that leverage to help them out. But at the end of the day, business, business—the people who uh, you know look at the open up the checkbooks and open up the purse strings—those are the people who have to make the change. If they made the change right now, because it's the right thing to do, none of this discussion would even be necessary.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is an easy one.
0: Uh, You know, the other thing I wanted to bring up is, and we talked about this way back when we first had Gina Atwater on, is, like, do you need to go the assistant route? You know what I mean? Like, I think that a lot of people have it in their mind, especially for television, that the way you break in is going the assistant route. And I've seen a lot of success from people, you know, working a few years as an assistant and then eventually getting hired to be a staff writer on something. But I've also seen people sort of wallow in the assistant mm-hmm. roles. I've seen people mm-hmm. who were super talented not get that, you know, call up to the majors, so to speak. And just like really sort of just like languish in that assistant role when they should be writing because they have the talent. I wanted to know what your thoughts
1: were on that. I mean, it depends on the individual. I, I am not a fan of assisting um, unless you're, you're pretty young. Um, yeah. You know, like under twenty five, or yeah. maybe maybe under twenty seven, or something. Yeah, but um, I, I'm just not a. F- I, th- don't don't get me wrong. I like I, I I don't mean it in the sense that I'm not a fan. Like I don't respect people who go through the system. I don't mean that. I mean I, I have a, I just mean that like if I was advising a mentee or something, I would say it would be a good. Um, a good thing to do, I, I would say, it depends on the person's personality. If you are yeah. good at being, um, you know, an assistant and doing the things uh, that are involved with that, it's a great way to, to especially a writer's assistant is a great way to learn. And if you're, I think, below a certain age, you can probably um, take it for lack of a better term, a little bit more than if you're of thirty-five. Course. I mean,
0: yeah, it's like it's not. You're not. <laughs> you know? I don't think you're saying anything too crazy to say, like. <laughs> if you have children and bills <laughs> right. and you're in your you know in your 30s or 40s it's a different calculation yeah. than if you just graduated from college 6 months yeah. ago. I mean,
1: I don't think that's like too condescending to say. Exactly. That. But I, at the same time like I, I just exclusively for writing, um not for other parts of the industry, but exclusively for writing like I just always beat the drum that the only thing that can make you um the most important thing that can make you a better and more viable writer is writing. And it doesn't matter what you do during the day, you have to do something that allows you the time and space to be able to continue to write mm-hmm. and to create pieces of work. That's what's most important and to get those things read. So, you know, you- if you're working 80 hours a week being somebody's assistant hoping to be, a, be promoted, it just, I'm just not a huge fan of that as an approach. Um, yeah, yeah, you also, I mean,
0: you just risk getting friend-zoned, right? Like, yeah. they only, if I've seen a lot of people who are talented, and, you know, they've come to me and they said, hey, do you think, you, you work with me as an assistant, I've been assisting on this thing for a while, do you think I'm ready to be a staff writer? I say, yeah, absolutely, you have the chops to be a staff writer. And they're sort of wondering, why am I not getting promoted? Well, it's because I think sometimes if people meet you as an assistant, they can only ever see you as an assistant. Mm -hmm. And I think that becomes a little problematic. Now, of course, listen, a lot of people break out of this. You've heard even on this show, you know, contrary narratives, right? Where people have Gina, again, go listen to episode, I think it's two or three, where Gina's on there and she talks about just making the smooth transition from assistant to star writer and she did it just perfectly. But I see a lot of other people getting stuck with it. I also think that, you know we're so condi- again i'm going to go in on capitalism first of all Shu, i don't know if you can tell my my coffee kicked in the bean <laughs> the bean has kicked in so if you were listening to me uh be tired at the beginning of the episode thanks for sticking in there cuz now i'm ready to really talk the bean <laughs> has kicked in secondarily what i'll say is another another capitalist another anti-capitalist rant which is we're so conditioned for the factory work you know, the factory worker, like hierarchy, right? Like you start working in the factory, you get promoted, you get promoted pretty soon. You're supervising the factory floor and that's what you do. You stick with the company long enough. You're going to get promoted. You're going to retire with a manager's, you know, you know, uh, what, uh, what am I looking for? Retirement package. Mm -hmm. What's the phrase for retirement package? Pension. Pension. Mm -hmm. Pension is the word I'm looking for. And, you know, you will have worked a lovely career as a, as a dedicated hard worker and you'll be, you'll, you know, you'll be rewarded for it when you retire. Again, I just think people try to apply that idea to the arts and to entertainment. It doesn't really work like that for everybody. And so I think if you're thinking that like getting your foot in the door as an assistant is a clear path towards becoming a writer, it's definitely one way to do it, but I don't think it's a guarantee, you know, and I always advocate for people to and this is, might be a controversial take, but I always advocate for people to get a job that does not take any of your creative energy. Yeah. Get a mindless job where it's like not about art. It's not about creativity. It's not about supporting people who are making art and creativity. Like it doesn't take any of your energy that you need for your own creative work. You know, get a job as an assistant in like, some financial office or some education office or some, you know, nonprofit office that doesn't have to do with creativity and art. Get a job, you know, working in food service, working in in, uh, some sort of like, uh, you know, hospitality. And find a job that pays you money. It probably won't be a lot, but either is an assistant. And use every bit of spare energy you have and every bit of spare time you have to work on your own stuff. Because I believe in the long term, that having your own stuff and really dedicating your creative energy to your own stuff is the most valuable path. But that's
1: just me. I'm just one person. I agree. And I I would say like, just, I totally agree. I mean, I can remember personally as a younger person, desperately wanting to be an assistant and wanting to get into, wanting to be a writer's assistant and, you know, trying to do that, applying, you know, I was in New York at the time. This is prior to graduate school. You know, just trying to trying to get in because I thought, man, if I could just be close to it, it would help. And I remember actually um, when that shift happened where I said, Meh, maybe not so much. And I think part of it was age. I just got older and those jobs never came. But I think part yeah. of it was that I started to look at what I was at the craft a little differently, to your point. I started to look at, I remember reading The War for Art and started to look at being a, what it meant to be a professional and to operate like a professional, even though no one had paid you yet. And that, uh, that just sort of like mental shift um, got me back was the reason I went to graduate school really, but it got me back to focusing on the work and not trying to Get in a position so that someone could later anoint me or promote me to said writer. It was about being a writer, becoming a writer, being a professional um, on my own accord, and that sort of mind shift really took being an assistant like off the table. Um, so
0: yeah, one sure one hundred percent. If you have listened to all this and you still want to pursue a job, a career path as an assistant. Which is totally valid. And again, you've heard people on the show say that it's a valid path and you can make it work. Make sure that you do your research on the company and the showrunner and the producers and everybody who you're going to be working with who has the power to hire you, have they hired within before? Do they have a history of promoting people from the assistant chair to staff writer or, you know, working with them or giving them the giving them the, you know, the the introduction that's going to lead them to a career? Do they have the history of treating their assistants as writers in waiting or Mm -hmm. do they have the history of working assistants for several years several years several years and then the assistant has to go somewhere else to pursue something Mm -hmm. if that's the case man I don't think there's any value in sort of like working for somebody for several years and then getting nothing out of it in terms of a promotion to a actual writer or getting that introduction to an agent or another producer or another director that's going to give you that job as a writer so do your research, make sure that there is a clear path and that person has a history of laying that path out for, you know, their subordinates
1: and the people who work for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Agreed. Let's move on.
0: All right, Shu. Let's talk about a subject that uh, I think both of you are, both of us are sort of loath to talk about.
1: Yes, which which is why we talked about this is going to be like a split episode, not so much an opening topic and then a main topic. I think this is going to be like two, basically two main topics (laughs) because yeah i don't know how much we have to say about this i would bet that we we have maybe even less uh that we have to say about the assistance it turns out but i want to talk about genre um i thought it you know if you don't mind i'll start and then sort of like throw a question to you sure um, sure the world is yours man whatever you want i thought it would be a good idea to talk about genre for a couple of reasons i i I look around and we in in you know, full disclosure: a lot of our topics come from Sherman and I talking offline in between episodes about a million things that don't end up on the podcast, but uh, some things sort of sneak through. And this a was lot of, one oh, oh, of- shoot, a lot of those. <laughs>
0: a lot of those text chains. We have a diversity hires text chain. We have a text chain just between me and you. and then We have a text chain with a whole bunch of our homies from Columbia, other black uh, graduates of the Columbia Films program who are working in the industry. And most of those topics, we can't even talk about. We can't say we can't even we can't. talk about on air because the the takes are so hot and the conversation is so spicy that like if we said it, we would probably stop working. We probably like we probably get blown up on Twitter, yeah. and then we'd have to, and then we'd be canceled and we'd have to stop working. So we like take good. like the mildest <laughs> yes we take like the mildest <laughs> topics and bring
1: them onto the show because these are the ones that we don't
0: think we're gonna get canceled for
1: that's right that's right so so we wanted to talk us uh, we wanted to talk about genre because you know a lot of I imagine that a lot of um, the people that listen to the show uh, whether they're aspiring writers or established writers or non-writers uh, who just you know, watch stuff, that these are people who probably consume and or write quite a bit of genre. And the reason I say that is because I think it's part of what attracts people to writing, whether it's like, you know, because there's so many of them, whether it's, you know, horror or thriller or stuff based on comic comics or, um, you know, supernatural stuff, any of that kind of stuff. I think people... That you know, when people watch that as kids, or or growing up, or even um, just as uh, sort of a a viewing adolescent, um, that they want to they want to emulate that, want to write that, and that combined with the fact that you know, I get, and I know you get, like you get these open writing assignments. You see what's out there all the time. You see the jobs that are coming up, and you see the stuff that's on the air, and and coming to a theater or a streaming service near you and a lot of it is genre yeah like you, a you, lot of it yeah you <laughs> Maybe said like most
0: of it yeah you were like uh like i think that's a lot of what people watch i'm like that's all people watch. Oh, that's like, all it is like when's right? <laughs> like besides just pure oscar bait and festival fodder like what even comes to the theater that's like a grown-up straight drama I mean, like those I, movies I, don't I, even come out. I don't know anymore. what they are. Yeah, yeah those movies do not come out anymore. So everybody is consuming genre all the time. Do we need to back up and define genre? Well, like, that's actually my first question. So for um, you, what is what is genre? There's two ways to go about it. the academic sort of overarching thing is when we talk about genre, we mean just like what sort of mode does the story live in, in the general biggest, broadest categories, right? Uh, is it a drama? That's a genre. Is it a comedy? That's a genre. Is it a romantic comedy? That's a subgenre of comedy. Is it a horror movie? Is it a thriller? Is it a fantasy? Is it a sci-fi? Is it some combination of all those things? That's genre in general. However, I think when people in our industry say genre, and I'm a genre writer, they basically mean they basically mean things that uh, are not a straight-up drama and aren't a straight-up comedy so all the other genres that exist outside of straight up straightforward drama and straightforward comedy i think you consider yourself a genre writer and those usually fall into the categories of things like horror sci-fi fantasy in some combination, sometimes action, you know, sometimes action will be thrown in there, but I usually think right. it means more of like the fantastical, you know, things with mythological creatures and mm. world Ugh. building and space and that Ugh. kind of stuff. I think that's more what it means than even like a horror movie, if that makes sense, or like a slasher movie, you know, but so, I i mean, or, 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 or an action movie, you know what I mean? I don't know that when you, like, if you were going to write bad boys, is that, are we calling that genre? I mean, I guess some people might refer to that as genre, but I, I don't I think, really. I, yeah, it's, I think, yeah. I think people say, a... I think people say action when they mean action. I yes. think people say comedy when they mean comedy. And I think yes. people say drama when they mean drama. Yes. And then everything else sort of gets thrown into the genre bucket.
1: Yes. That's, that's, that's what I would say. I, I that's why I, I would agree with that. So can you talk a little bit about your, I have two questions. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your experience writing sh- genre as we've defined it, yeah. at least. And just basics about, for, for now, I want to dig into it, but just basics about like, what do you think makes genre work or what do you like about it? And then mm-hmm. maybe we'll get into what, what makes it not work. But okay. I, I want to, yeah, let's start there. I mean, I have a long
0: history of writing genre, Sure. So. I mean, when you when you pose this question... I was like, I don't really. What do I know about genre? But I actually have written a lot of genre. You know, yeah. my the the first script that ever got me a manager uh, and got me sort of broken into my first fledgling steps into Hollywood was a vampire script, a vampire horror action adventure script. That's which genre. is getting made, right? That is coming out in October uh, through Blumhouse mm-hmm. on Amazon, and we. I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we get closer. But mm-hmm. yes, I have uh, a tentative release date. I'm meeting with Amazon Marketing about it. I've seen the cut of the movie. It's pretty great. Um, And we'll talk more about that in the future. But it's a vampire movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote uh, for MTV Screen, which is a slasher horror show. Uh, I've written for Legacies, which is a spinoff of the Vampire Diaries uh, and the originals, which is also a vampire, horror, supernatural type thing, creature of the week type thing. And I'm right now writing two movies that are two projects that sort of fall in the sci-fi, uh, in the sci-fi sort of space technology adventure world. So I've written a lot <laughs> of genre, bro. And, you know, the, the thing about me is I'm going to keep it all the way funky with you, Shu, as yeah. I always do. And I solemnly mm-hmm. swear that I will in the future. I, mean, I always keep it a buck with you, shoe. <laughs> I don't understand genre at all, man. Really? Spoiler alert. Okay. All it. right. Okay. I don't get it. I don't I, I
1: don't <laughs> get it, bro. I just uh, like. All, you have I, just betrayed all the nerds. You have just betrayed. I mean, you don't subscribe to the elements of making good genre no, work. No, because Come I on. tell you, because, shoo,
0: where I'm a nerd, where I'm a nerd is story and structure and character. So it's like all the elements of genre that I write, they're all modular. They, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they just ship. Mm-hmm. Like, who cares what the details of the vampire are? I don't care. Like, what I care about is that the character is going through something, and I want to follow those basic human emotions. I only think that the elements that make genre work, I only think the elements that make genre work, the monsters and the sci-fi and the details and the space and all that, I only think that works if your characters and your story are working basically without it.
1: So, so I, So why have it? Because it's this is my second. Because it's, so then why it's, did you when when you set out to make that first vampire movie? Because you wrote that on spec, right? I wrote that as a it's just you. student, bro. I wrote that yeah. as a student. So like when you're just going because you you're saying like you're not exactly a a fan per se, but when you set I'm out not against it. But, but you're I'm not against it. vampire I'm not against movies it, or anything. But, but I don't, not, so I don't when you seek something out... out
0: because it's a vampire movie. And I don't okay. seek something out because it's a sci-fi movie. If I watch something that's sci-fi and dope, of course I'm going to love it. Like, I'm not against it. But I don't seek it out and say, I love all things about spaceships. And, like, push up my glasses <laughs> in the middle and then, like, run to the theater to see it. I'm not like that, bro. I'm not going to any conventions. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm not, uh, you know.
2: Conventions are
0: fun. But whatever, dude. I like sneakers well, and I like Mob Deep.
2: Okay, well wait and I a second, like character let's go and back. I like that's well, that's kind of a that's a genre in and of itself. I mean yeah. you know, there's there, whatever. Sneakers and Mob Deep is a certain kind of genre. But anyway, the, going, back let's... The, going back to the going back to the going back to the, going
1: back to the original question, like so then what as a as a writer setting out to write a story. You decided to make it about vampires, so why? Because I do believe at my core,
0: Shu, and again, let me keep it all the way funky with you. I promise to keep it a buck. At my core, I think that our job is not only to entertain and tell great stories, but also to show people things that are extraordinary. I think okay. that's the one of the beautiful things that we can do in the art that we've chosen is show people things that are really extraordinary not always a reflection of their life and not only mm-hmm. not, a, not sure. always super realist because you can sure. look out the window and you can see that sometimes you i i love the ability of this medium to take it to places that are fantastical and so like
1: okay. yeah i could okay. just
0: have i could just have a uh villain that's based in reality. And, uh, you know, my my movie is about a girl who's fighting vampires in New Orleans, right?
1: Mm-hmm. A
0: teenage girl who's also coming of age, but fighting vampires in New Orleans. It didn't have to be vampires. It could have been, you know, some like street tough, right? She could be fighting some, you know, sort of urban n- New Orleans street criminals or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not as fantastic. That's not as exciting As when you make the reveal that it's wow it's something really supernatural and and something that we couldn't ever see in real life so i like the ability of genre to push the limits of reality and take it to some place that's totally outside of what we have in our everyday existence i think that's a fantastic thing and i I honestly believe shu one more thing before you jump in is that even in dramas i try to do that right like even when i'm mm -hmm. writing a drama that's based and totally grounded in our reality I'm trying to give you something that probably would most likely not happen in your real life, even if it's based on this world and I'm not inventing any creatures or sci-fi elements. I'm trying to give you something that's extraordinary and fantastic and something that would not happen to an average person, you know, walking out of their house every day.
1: Going back to the original question for you, an element of a good use of genre for you is is when the genre element Enhances the story that you want to tell to begin with. One hundred percent. Because I think, yeah, go go ahead. ahead.
0: Because the people who focus on the genre elements first, they're almost always whack. Mm. Like you know, and not not they're not almost always whack. Maybe that's too hard, harsh. But what I think happens is they always get themselves in a pickle, bro. You know what I mean? Like they always Mm. end up. If you start with the genre elements, it's going to be cool for a few pages, and then you're going to look up and you're going to go, "Oops, where's the story?" I didn't really figure out why this, why this is happening. And it starts to feel, and you know, we've seen that happen. I don't want to call things out, but we've definitely seen that happen in recent shows. And I think, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Like where the, probably everybody can figure out what I'm talking about at this point, but I'm not, I don't want to disrespect anybody. No, no, no. But you know, there's been things on air popular among (laughs) our demographic where the genre, where the genre was clearly put first and the story wasn't there. And, and, you know, I think that's I I think see, that's yeah. a big problem. I'm always about story first. I would never put any genre elements at the sake of hurting my narrative working
1: from a human emotion and
0: objective standpoint,
1: never. But just to dig down a little deeper for, for you know, if I'm, a, you know, I'm a writer, I'm about to sit down and I want to tell this a story about, you know, whatever, like you were saying, a young woman. A coming of age story. For you, you kind of thought. I imagine maybe you could take us through it. You thought of this uh, story of young coming of age, and then thought maybe a supernatural element—her being a vampire or whatever. I don't know how the story mm-hmm. turns out. No, I, I set out to write a vampire thing. I mean, I, I thought okay. about a vampire okay. thing, but what
0: I immediately, when I thought of that, I said, "Okay, who's who's at the center of this? It's got to be a human being with real emotions, right?" Mm. Uh, it's got to be relatable emotions. So she's going through some family issues. You know, her mom's not in the house. Her dad uh, is a single father. She's dealing with uh, coming of age stuff, man. Universal beyond race and gender. She's dealing with like first crushes and you know self confidence and wondering where her place is in the world. And vampires come and they totally rock her world. They totally disrupt it, right? They disrupt it in a way that nothing grounded could but she's still going through the same human emotions like her reacting to the problem of having vampires invade her life is all filtered through what a real human would do in that case so i'm always thinking about the human
1: emotions of telling the story and so was that was can you translate that now? Like, take me to Scream and Legacies. I mean, same thing, little you know, di- yeah, a little okay. different
0: because I'm working for people, you know, I sure. wasn't the showrunner on those, so I, there was things that were out of my control. But shout out to Brett Matthews, who we both work with and love, yeah. uh, shout yeah. out to Julie Pleck, who I worked with on Legacies. They also, I think, were very concerned with character when it came down to it, you know what I mean? Like, they had mm-hmm. a lot, we were always serving a lot of masters because we needed you know, sort of the sci-fi thing and there's a huge um, canonical history in Legacies, you know, yeah. where there's like like several seasons of several shows before it and we have to follow those rules so that can get very confusing. But at the end of the day, it was a show about teenagers who were going through some stuff. You know what I mean? There was, And there's, of course, it's the CW. So on Legacies, there's a lot of romance and a lot of that kind of stuff and betrayals and, you know, soapy stuff. But mm-hmm. I think we also tried to keep it uh, involved in the in the sort of human emotions, shoot. But why are you interviewing me, man? You've written genre too.
1: You wrote for the Vampire Diaries. People have looked at your IMDb. What do you think about this stuff? I feel the same way that I mean, you know, I'm I'm a big Julie play fan in terms of working with her. Um, so, I I I agree with that that sort of assessment. That uh, seems that in that room, we certainly tried to. I mean, we had seven seasons of you know a canon like you talked about and all this mythology that had to be adhered to of course which is where the genre elements can become sort of overwhelming but at the core when we break the stories it really is about character wants and needs and uh, what they want for this episode as opposed to uh what they want well and connected to what they want for this season right you know et cetera which doesn't necessarily have to do with with The genre element. I mean, honestly, in the Vampire Diaries, what people are really trying to find and get is love. I mean, that's ultimately it. (laughs) They're trying to be with one another um, and find true love. That's really the core of it. Um, And the genre elements and the things they're up against and even the big bad, the sort of villains, Mm
2: -hmm. are
1: ultimately in their way, uh, in the main character's way, preventing that from happening. And and so, yeah, so I agree with it, you know, on a, so that's sort of my like staff, staffing experience. This is my one genre staffing experience, but you know, I, I, I it's, it's, it's interesting. I have a torn feeling about genre. I think it is like in the marketplace way, I, way, 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 way too much like it is overwhelmed oh, the marketplace of film a, and television. Uh, 100% agree with you, show. It is way way to, I miss desperately miss the straight up character driven drama. I miss it. And I, and it's there. Don't get me wrong. Like there are there are plenty of shows, I mean, you know, that are that are nominated, you know, and and really frankly, comedies are probably doing that a lot. Better those half-hour sort of—they're not really comedies. The shrills of the world, you know, yeah. are they're really doing really, that. Yeah, they're, not they're really, really
0: character. They're really yes.
1: character-driven dramas. Yes. that happen to have a lot of humor. Yes, but they're exactly. Not,
0: they're not like sitcoms.
1: No, and right. they're doing that space that I'm talking about really well. Yeah. Where it really is an interesting character journey and an interesting character sort of um, slice of life. Like you said, with a with a couple of laughs, um, but but we're really investing in like even the Ted Lasso's of the world. We're really investing in sort of like who are these people and what are they up right. against and what are what are they going after? These unique characters. I miss that in the hour drama in television. Um, it happens; it's, they're out there, but I miss it, and I, it's just totally gone in movies. I don't okay, even. To, I mean, it's not okay. it's non-existent. Third time, I'm going to go at this sort of capitalist structure, bro, because
0: like, think about it. If you're a huge studio and you have the choice of making this drama, this character-driven drama that might be good, might be a box office hit, right? And you're going to spend $40 million on it and it's going to be a box office hit for a drama and it's going to make $250 million, right? Which is a hit. Or you have the choice of investing $200 million in a superhero movie. And making a billion, where are you going? To, like, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? You're going to invest the two hundred million dollars because you already have it, and you're going to make a billion, a guaranteed billion, every time out the gate. And so, yeah. it's just like the the business has really constricted the art in that particular case. And I do think, you know, we have seen a little bit of it that energy transfer to TV. I do think that we've seen a little bit of the movie side of it transfer to streamers a little bit. Like you can sometimes find these mid-level, you know, dramas on streamers or, you know, sort of more serious adult character driven things on streamers. You can't find those in the theater anymore. It's no no longer a theatrical experience unless you're going to an art house, you know, uh, theater or you're going to a festival or something like that. Or Wes Anderson decides to put out, you know, whatever he does. Yeah, Um, you're not really
1: handful of people you're not really getting that as just like studios aren't investing in that anymore no and it's 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 very interesting what you said about the streamers because i i wouldn't i think that is actually you know that wave is starting to crest a bit and i think there you are going to see more and more of those like you said mid-budget even kind of low budget um straight to streamer for for lack of a better term i mean we're we're writing one for Netflix. Um, and you know, I think you're, I think there is a space for those. Um, but, but I missed, so anyway, my, my point is that like, I miss those. And as a result of like sort of the flood of genre, I've come to resent genre. If I'm, if I'm being totally honest, Keeping it real, I, you know. I've, I've come to resent it as a result because, you know, I, I, I just, I forgot to mention, I may destroy you another sort of, you know, half-hour drama um, that's really taking that space on television, which I enjoy. But so so because it's just flooded, the marketplace, I, I resent it, even though I – so I'm not a big fan, even though I've written it. And ironically, I think one of my sort of like, you know, as, as a writer, as you know, you, you you have these samples that go out and sort of, you know, it's what people read before you get offered a job or right. even offered a meeting. And my strongest sample is probably uh, a genre piece, you know, this this thing I wrote called uh, Tempest based on a uh, Walter Mosley book. Oh, yeah, I read that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, thank it's you. Great. But, yeah. And so it has genre elements. and, and I'm, But I remember even writing that script. And, and you know, at, at, at the time that I thought it was maybe going to become a show, it was written for NBC, mm-hmm. that thinking like, boy, I just want to get past the genre <laughs> like, yeah. as quickly as possible as a writer. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want to get to the character. It's about a guy who gets shot by the cops, goes to judgment heaven and uh, gets sentenced to hell and refuses to go and comes back to earth in the body of another man. Right. And I just wanted to do all that in the first act and get, get, get to get the guy back on earth and then like have him exist as a, as a person and just tell that story um, as best we could. So even when I'm sort of dealing with the genre element as a writer, I am trying to get past it and get to the character driven drama as much as as humanly possible. I, when I see something, this is just my own, this is just my opinion. And this is not necessarily good or bad writing, right? But when I see something, or maybe it is, maybe it is actually, when I see something, I don't know, maybe Game of Thrones people would disagree. But when I see something...
0: I love Game of Thrones.
1: I know. I see something when where a perfectly good character growth moment or a perfectly good um, character with an intention running into an obstacle, you know, sort of phase of the film or television show happens... And then like a fucking monster comes out of the sky or in the woods or something, or like a serpent appears or something. I check the fuck out. Oh, that's whack. I, I have I'm to
0: joking. say, I feel like you're I'm whack joking. for that, bro. Because I'm it can it can en- like I don't, no, I don't it, it, can I'm out. It. it can enhance. It can enhance it. It can. I guess it yes, can. You do. I, Let me tell can. you something. Uh look at a show like Six Feet Under. Okay, Six Feet yes. Under is a fan Only of my drama. favorites. And there's ghosts you know what I mean like they're talking to people who are dead right and so it's like is that a whole you know what I mean like that's an element of genre because it's not just a straight up grounded uh, drama and it enhanced it for me right so like I just feel like I just feel like if it's done right if it's done right like you know the first few seasons of Lost I love that had a lot of sci-fi fantasy stuff and you know it just enhanced what these characters were going through I think the problem is when it becomes the star of the show so much that we forget to tell a story, and yeah, I, okay, I feel the, that. The last thing I want to say about it, and I'll, I'll let you wrap us up with any of your final thoughts. But the last thing I want to say about it is, if you're choosing to go into genre, this should be a don't do that shit. But I'll just, I'll just drop this gem for free. <laughs> if you're for free of cost, uh, if you're going to go into genre, bro, don't be derivative. Okay, I know you've been just like on a steady diet of marvel and a steady diet of star wars or whatever other things you nerds like and but now you're writing something snap out take off the fan hat and put on the creative hat do something original man you know i see so many people trying to just mimic mimic what they see on the screen already and i'll tell you it's too late that ship has sailed man like like it's already been done. They've already killed it. You can borrow from it. You can be inspired by it. But in terms of just trying to like copy it and recreate it, don't do that, man. Be original. Have an original thought. And if the only thing that inspires you is copying something that's already existed, that's the only thing that expi- inspires you. You know, maybe you're maybe you maybe you're not a writer. Maybe you should just be a fan. Maybe you should just watch and enjoy and talk to a, talk to your friends about it. But like, stop trying to. Directly lift from these huge <laughs> genre
2: things that you didn't do. <laughs> I don't <you> even. <laughs> what? Am I no, no, thing? I'm trying to think of what you're referring to.
0: Just. Well, I'm, I'm listening. Like the... Let me just put it in brass tack. Shut out Marvel. You know, shut out Marvel. They've changed the game. Obviously, they're a huge influence on everybody. They're dominating the box office every time they come out. I don't need to give Marvel its props. They've put out a lot of good movies. You know, some movies, I think, follow the pattern a little too closely, but there's been some gems in there, right? Okay. And some TV shows have been good, too. But what I'll say is that I see a lot of young people coming up now really just trying to emulate that, you know? Like, create their own cinematic universe. You you don't have a cinematic universe, bro. You got one shot of the script to impress me. I don't care about your ideas for a, a multi-year, sprawling, you know, fantasy universe that you created. Like... You know, if you're going to do the superhero thing, I think it's sort of been running to the ground. What's your new take on it? You know, don't just do a different version of what's already existed. That's what I'm saying, Shu, is like, I think genre becomes, one of the reasons why genre becomes so suffocating to people like us is because people are not trying to break the mold. And that's one of the great things about creativity and finding new stuff is like, you find something that really takes it a direction that you never thought it would be taken. You watch a drama or or even a horror movie or sci-fi or whatever, and you go, wow, that was really creative. That was different. I never thought of that. And so yeah, see a lot of people who are fans first trying to emulate what they like. And I just think that's whack, man. If, if, that's, if you're excited about the genre elements that you see on and that's what's motivating you, just remain a fan, man. Don't try to write. Don't try to copy it in writing.
1: Yeah, I guess that's what – like that's a – that's a way sort of of putting, it makes me think of what I was saying earlier. Cause I do agree with you. Like, you know, when genre or genre elements are used to enhance, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, I guess my confidence in that or just in watching, you know, um, my confidence in that happening is like low because I, I've, I really feel that like, to me again like I, I you know it's just one person's opinion but i feel like the plethora of stuff makes it such that there's a lot of emulation like you're saying imitation and i think along with that there's just you know there's just um what's the word there there is no enhancement it just exists do you know what i mean like and i yeah, feel it's like, like a, i it's feel like a, like a yeah Go it's ahead. like an, it's like an homage
0: it's like we're like it's like everybody is just you know, paying tribute to the shit that they watched. And it's not, right, they're right. not trying to actually move forward the genre, do something creative, say their own thing. It's just like, how can I reflect what I
1: like in my work? I, right. Just because it's like that whole thing of like, which I i severely disagree with this, but this whole notion of like television is just, you know, especially TV, maybe it's film too, but television is just like people just want to see cool shit. I just don't, I totally disagree. I just don't understand that line of thinking. And sure, it could be the coolest, like, metaphysical fucking monster out of the thing, and the the army looks great that's fighting it, Or who, but who gives a shit if it's mm. not elevating uh, the story in one way or another? I just don't understand that, and I think, like... Um, what's, what's, what's hard for me is like, I'm, I'm, I guess I just don't see that. I I see, I don't, to me, like genre elements work well. Um, you know, I'm saying the same thing, I guess, but when they elevate, when they're allegorical, when there's a reason for it to exist, that's what I'm coming down to when there's a reason for it to exist and we can understand that reason because it enhances the story that's being told or the world exists that way. And we're telling the story and that we're telling this story in that world because this story is the, is best told in that world. Right. You know what I mean? You couldn't tell this story in a different kind of world. Otherwise, why does it exist? Just because everybody likes genre. I don't, that's the part where I go like, what, give me a, like, can I just have straight up drama?
0: Yeah. But I do think that those choices can enhance it. I think that like, if, you were looking at something like game of thrones right and it was actually set in historical england. yes sure then you're now focused on the history of historical england and you're not getting you it actually allows you sort of stepping outside of that and adding these fantastical elements actually allow you to get to the human condition a little bit better than if you were uh you know having to deal with what actually happened in real life so I think that it can be a really smart choice, and it can enhance, but I feel like you got to do something very, very different. You got to break the mold. If you're just regurgitating what you've seen on screen for your whole life, then you're never going to quite get there.
1: Yeah. What's That's that what one with Lincoln where he fights a bunch of vampires and stuff? I think it's, it's a it <laughs> vampire hunter or something.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, sure. I think we should leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think I think we should so. move on to uh, DT, Don't Do That Shit.
0: DDTS,
1: yes, yes.
0: Welcome to Don't Do That Shit. You know what it is a place where we give you a little bit of bite sized advice by telling you what not to do. We tell you what to avoid doing in hopes that you can make your career, your life, your writing, everything around you a little bit better. Uh, and so let's get into it. You guys already know what it is because you, you're faithful listeners.
2: Don't
1: do that shit. Do that shit. Uh, Shu, would you like to go first today or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll go first today because I think mine is fairly short. I have the shortest don't do that shit I've ever had today. But go ahead. Oh, wow. Well, there'll be two short ones then. It's fine. Yeah, totally fine. Um, My don't do that shit today is going to make me sound like an old curmudgeon and probably sounded that way while I was talking about genre anyway. So this will be right on point. Right. I strongly believe that one should not do anything cute in the body of the script. Mm. I think a screenplay should just be words and what the challenge is is to make those words visual and to make those words paint a picture and create emotion and then deliver emotion it's difficult to do but that's what it's for and so i am just not a fan actually i you know i don't even of great writers uh, you know putting a picture in or a you know a set of words in a different font or something or even like putting a like specific font on the cover page i know productions do that anyway i'm i'm not a fan of that so this is a old curmudgeon like yo, know, just stick to the english language of words yeah. on the page for a screenplay stick to the formatting just you know you know let the words speak for themselves I... so don't do no cute shit I basically I agree with show. that, sure.
0: Yeah. But I have to say I do like having a different font for my title page. Okay. <laughs> I've gotten very okay. I've gotten very into the title of the script being its own font. So like, you know, I wrote a script called Uptown Chess which takes place in Harlem, New York, and I sort of found a font that I think best expressed the script. You know, it had a little New York edge to it. it had a little mm-hmm. school edge to it, it. Had like a like almost varsity lettering because it took place in high school. It worked,
1: but everything oh. else
0: was uh, actually just you know courier.
1: Listen, uh, I am I am just real quick. I am I've said before, and Jerry Seinfeld says the same thing about comedy. But I, if I could, if if my, if my writing could be an athlete, it'd be Mike Tyson or Kawhi Leonard. Like, mm. just keep it simple. Black shorts, black socks. I don't need a robe. need an mm. entrance. Mm. I don't need no music. Nobody. Not, just, I don't need to, ah, after I dunk on you. Nothing. Just words, black words, white paper. Oh,
0: like, you're going to hate the second thing I'm going to say then. The other thing ahead. that I did. You're going to hate this shoe. What? Don't yell at me. I put an emoji in my script before.
1: Come on, man. Because We're, it was a text.
0: I was actually. It was a text. That's what that. That's what they sent. Was the emoji. Like
1: uh, 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 this is, like, well, this when is I, where I, it starts to go downhill. But then,
0: what do you do? Do you write smiley face emoji, crying sure. emoji?
1: I mean, okay. but you
0: I could think just put the emoji it. in there.
2: Just yeah, put the emoji. Man, you so you had to search because I don't think that's in final draft or movie matches. No, you I made it actually. I <laughs> made it
0: happen. Yeah, I made it happen. I thought it was fresh. <laughs> I thought it was fresh. Happen. You had I to make it was that happen. Sorry,
1: now, look, sir. I'm a person that puts puts a quote page between the title. Yeah, what are you talking man, about? So, You're not a
0: traditionalist.
1: So, that, so you hypocrite? Those, yo, it's just words, man. It's just that's true. words. That's true.
0: I mean, I basically agree with you. I I feel like when I do those things, it's because. The other 99.9% of the script is just words, and I want that one thing to pop. But I hear what you're saying, generally speaking. Can I give you my shortest don't do that shit? Yeah. All right. This one goes out to producers, studios, anybody in a position to hire or solicit pitches. Here it is, show. Ready? Don't do this shit. Don't hire a middle-aged white guy to write a black story.
2: (laughs) How could you not lead? Why was this not our lead topic?
0: (laughs) That's it. No further comment. (laughs) What I don't see, Shu, middle-aged black guys writing white stories, getting hired to write the white stories. Don't ever see that. See it the other way around all the time. It's a
1: problem. Let's yeah, you could almost tolerate it if it were the other way. If there was, there was an equitable distri- distribution of those kinds of things, you go, ah, okay. Yeah, because
0: people say, oh, I don't see color. Best best story wins. Best, I don't see color. That means they're about to hire a middle-aged white guy. Whenever somebody says that, it 100% <laughs> means they're about to hire a middle-aged white guy. It never breaks the other way, bro.
1: Oh, I don't. It, it I don't see color. I don't see like color. Just
0: the best. No. You know, the best. The best writer will get the job. Okay, yeah. you're about to hire a white guy. But you would think the producers got it. Like, I mean, this is a much longer thing. I don't even want to go yeah, into it. I am surprised much, you didn't start with that. Much longer. Thing. I know, I know. I know I you have been listening to the Diversity Hires. Find us across all social media facebook twitter instagram at div hires pod also our patreon page patreon.com slash div hires pod where you can give us a little bit of money and help us keep this thing afloat.
1: i'm your co-host sherman Payne, and i am your co-host shukri hassan tillman this show is produced by the wonderful usc graduate akb august k burton our social media director shout out tia wren doing her thing on the social medes, And you can follow us, as Sherman said, anywhere on the social media pages. but you can also reach out to us at the diversityhires.com. You can write us a little note, tell us uh, things you'd like to hear on the podcast. Sign up for our newsletter where you get all the wonderful uh, additions and resources that we talk about in the show. And you can rate our podcast at Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or anywhere you find this podcast. Please do so. We're trying to get to 105 star reviews. We're very close. And I think that's it, actually. So share the podcast. Tell all your friends, all your groups, everybody you know. And we will see you next week on the Diversity Items. Peace.